Our sermon this afternoon will be brought by Lawrence Gregory, titled Atonements. Sir? Well, good afternoon, everyone. The calendar shows us today is Yom Kippur. So what does a seeming Jewish high day have to do with us as Christians? Well, there are a number of reasons. First, Yom Kippur is a Hebrew word for the English Day of Atonement. Now this phrase, Day of Atonement, occurs only three times in the scriptures. And there's one other time that it occurs in reference to it. But Kippur is a plural word occurring a few times in addition to the Day of Atonement separately from that. And we're not going to look at all those references. The most frequent singular word, Kafor, is used most often. So when atonement, the, word, the other word, Kafor, is used. Other forms like Kaforth, which is the lid or the covering on the mercy seat, which is a takeoff very similar to the word kapur. So, now, let's come to the word kapur. It means expiations, that is, to appease, purify with sacred rites. And the word that we use from the dictionary that we are familiar with, atone, means to make amends for an offense to reconcile, to agree, and coming back to expiate. So in the dictionary, expiate means the same as atone. So those two words, expiate and atone, mean the same thing, to forgive, to agree, to reconcile. Now, kafor, that is the singular word that is similar to yom kippur that we're going to be talking about. Kafor means to cover, expiate, condone, placate, or cancel, cleanse, forgive, reconcile, put off. And this is the most frequent word that we see that's translated in the English atonement. That is the word kafor, which is a singular word. But the plural of this day of atonements is expressed in many different ways. Now, I have a number of different ways that this plural, Day of Atonements, is expressed. And uh, the first is, uh, I want us to go back to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, because we're going to read Leviticus 27. It says, Also, in the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a Day of Atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. We're going to talk about all of these points a little later. Some of them have been covered earlier in the first message, but we're going to talk about them again also. And uh, verse uh, 28, And you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. So all of these atonements are in English, but there are some different Hebrew words there. And uh, 
the Hebrew word for the Day of Atonement is plural. Day of Atonements, Yom Kippur. So we want to remember that. And in also in, in chapter 25, verse 9, it says, 25, 9, Then shall you cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the Day of Atonement. Here again, the Day of Atonements. It's not translated in English, the plural, so they missed it a little bit here. Shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land? We'll talk about that a little later. And then uh, if we go to uh, verse, uh, back to chapter 9, chapter 9, and uh, no, uh, we want to go to uh, chapter, well, let's go, let's, I, I skipped the third reference there. Uh, it's, uh, let's see. 29.32. Well, let's go to Exodus, the 30th chapter, verse 10. We'll just leave that one. Sometimes your notes start running together here. Exodus 30 and verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement, this is that kafor, upon the horns of it once in a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Here, this Yom Kippur, this Kippur is translated in the English atonements correctly. Once in the year shall he make atonement, singular, upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So, in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verse 27, we'll go back to Leviticus 23. We'll spend several uh, times back and forth here. Leviticus 23, 27 says, In the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you. Okay, we understand from previous messages, this word convocation, mikra, means to be called out for a holy meeting time, a rehearsal, or assembly. And so that's what we're doing here today. We're rehearsing some of the things that we'll cover a little later. We're, we're rehearsing, and uh, that is what that word convocation means, a holy convocation, a holy assembly, holy meeting to rehearse something. Then the second here is, uh, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls. So, we saw this before a little bit, so if we go to, uh, oh, uh, let me first go to verse uh, 29 and 30 while we're here. For whosoever shall it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And then in uh, verse 32, it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. From even unto even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. So now let's go to Isaiah the 58th chapter. We were there a little earlier in the first message, but um, let's go again to Isaiah 58. And um, we'll just uh, read a few verses here. We won't go through all of those that uh, David did. Uh, beginning in, uh, in Isaiah 58, verse 3. Wherefore 
Have we fasted, say they, and you see not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and you take no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness, and you shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a rest, a fast, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when you see the naked that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh? And so he goes on more about uh, fasting. And uh, we see that uh, we afflict our souls because it's what God expects us to. We, we, he expects us to do good to our fellow man. And that's why we fast, to learn some lessons. By doing without ourselves, we learn that there are many other people that have a need, that have uh, uh, problems, uh, all kinds of things that occur in their life that they need to have some help. And so we are to help them as we can to use right judgment and, and to judge righteously. We know God expects us to do that uh, correctly. Now, uh, the third thing back in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, go back there, was to offer an offering to God made by fire. Now, just think about this a little bit. We've already taken up an offering. That money is not going to come back to us. When you offer an offering or a sacrifice, you burn it up. That's gone. But a lot of people want to withhold from God to use it for something else. So he told us, when you offer something to God, just consider it's gone. For us personally, we can't use that. We can't claim that. Oh, uh, Richard, I'd like to have my money back. No, it doesn't work that way. He's going to tell me, sorry, it's already in the bank or it's spent or something like that. So we give an offering to God. And so we want to count that offering that we've given today. It kind of hurts, doesn't it? It kind of, is, in one sense, it's painful a little bit. Now, uh, there in Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy 16, where Steve read, God tells us three times in a year. But we know by experience, we can take that, uh, all that offering at the Feast of Tabernacles and divide it out among uh, the uh, other holy days of trumpets and atonement. And so we can give just as much as if we gave it all on, on tabernacles and didn't give anything on uh, atonement and uh, uh, on uh, trumpets. But here specifically, we're told to give an offering to God on this holy day. So we can't use that as an excuse. Oh, well, I'll just let my Feast of Tabernacles count as my offering for today even though that might sound re reasonable. God wants us to give an offering today and Saturday and uh, the, uh, pardon me, on the Feast of Trumpets, which was on Saturday, and then the coming, the Feast of Tabernacles, those two uh, days that the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. Uh, some get that last great day confused with the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll talk about that 
uh, maybe sometime else in the future. Okay, also in Leviticus 23, it says that uh, this is, uh, let me go to my fourth point there, Leviticus 23 and verse uh, 28. And you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, and here it's correctly translated in the plural from the Yom Kippur, to make an atonement, this is a different word, kafor, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. So the point I want to get from this is, this is a Sabbath day. Now, earlier, uh, Doyle and I were at the front door there, we were talking, and uh, somebody was following a, a bre- or some of the brethren that came in in the car, and they were right on their tail end, and they were going that way, and they, they're kind of like they were unhappy that the people were turning off on a Wednesday to come to church. And I told him, I told Doyle, I said, well, what do they expect on Saturday for, you know, to come to church? So we're so used to coming to church on Saturday. Then, I, oh, no, it's Wednesday. And you don't think of people going to church on a Wednesday uh, to observe, unless you're a Jew, Yom Kippur. And that's taken on a, a different meaning for them. But uh, for us, it's a uh, Sabbath day. Now, uh, skip down to verse 30. It says... Uh, and uh, whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. That's, that's pretty serious. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Are we Israel? Forget Christian. Are we Israel? If we're Israel, this is for us Forever. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. From even unto even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. So from sundown to sundown, last night sundown to sundown this night, uh, we keep it a Sabbath. And we know uh, with uh, other considerations of Sabbath that it's a rest. We, we rest from our work and our normal things. And uh, there are some things that we can do that uh, God allows and he approves uh, as a rest day. So now, the fifth point that I want to cover is, uh, uh, skip ahead to Leviticus, the 25th chapter, and uh, we'll begin in verse 8 through, I'm going to read a number of verses here, 8 through 17. And you shall number seven Sabbaths of years unto you, seven times seven, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto you forty and nine years. Then shall you cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your lands. Here again that plural, day of atonements. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you And you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which soweth of itself, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field." In the year of this jubilee you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall sell aught unto thy neighbor, 
And if you sell aught unto a neighbor, or buyeth aught of your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy of the neighbor. And according to the number of years of the fruits, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase the price thereof. And according to the fewness of years, you shall diminish the price of it. For according to the number of years of the fruits, does he sell unto you. You shall not therefore oppress one another, for you shall fear the God, thy God, for I am the Lord God, your God. For I am the Lord, your God. So that's a rather ser serious and rather harsh. So what God is saying, if, if it's close to the 50th year, say if we're in the third or fourth, fifth year and we sell something, we can charge more than if it's right at the 47th or 48th year, close to the 49th year. Because the 50th is really so it has to be less. So we can't take advantage of people. So what, what the point is from this that we're to learn today is we're not to take advantage of anyone. We're to be fair in our dealings and in our business arrangements. And uh, we are to remember that the uh, Jubilee, the 50th year, is a year of release. Now, I don't know when the 50th year is in our counting. I haven't uh, taken the time, maybe you know, from the previous times to um, count that up. And, uh, but, uh, and I'm not going into the seven years of release of the seventh Seven sevens, because the seventh year was a year of release. Seven sevens, 49. The 50th year is a, is a uh, jubilee year. So you've got the 49th year and the 50th year would be uh, back to back. And so it would take a lot of faith to obey God if you're an agriculturalist, not to go out and be harvesting and selling. You can eat all the produce of the land. You can eat, go out and get some food and eat it, but you can't sell it. And so we have to think about uh, the Jubilee in reference to the Day of Atonement and what the significance of that is to us. It occurs after trumpets when we're with Christ the families are reunited. Think about that just at the beginning before the tabernacle starts, before the uh, millennium starts and so uh, there's great significance uh, and a great meaning in that Jubilee year for us. Now we saw a little bit here in Leviticus 25.8 about the blowing the shofar and that's what this means. Now, there's two trumpets in the Bible, and you have to search, and it's not my purpose to explain all this today. Sometimes it's the silver trumpet. Sometimes it's the ram's horn that's blown on the holy days. So, and sometimes uh, there are others, a uh, call of assembly, the military used it, the calling of the officers. Sometimes you used a silver trumpet. Sometimes you used a shofar, the ram's horn. So you can do a separate search uh, and on the... Uh, Shofar, it means trumpet, cornet, or a bugle. So you hear the military, the cavalry charge, that can be a shofar, a piercing sound, you know. And I've, in past years, oh, a number of years ago, I remember I played a bunch of the different sounds of the silver trumpet and the trumpet and the cornet and the bugle and, and some of those. Uh, and they have significance. When we hear, uh, if you're in the military, and they play taps, or they play reveille, or they play call to assembly, uh, or officers call. You know, you recognize the different sounds, and they play that now over the loudspeakers. They don't have a, they have got recorded on a tape, I guess. And uh, sometimes at funerals, you know, you'll have uh, uh, military people playing their uh, bugles and uh, their um, reveille, not taps yet, 
Taps us, wake up, Reveille is, isn't it, go to sleep, is that, is that right? Is it that way? Or is it? Okay, see, uh, somebody knows about it already more than I know, so I need to study into Taps and Reveille to get it straight. Okay, uh, now, there's another point here, and this is uh, the, number, the seventh point that I have here. The significance of the two goats as a single sin offering. Now let's go back to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and they're introduced here. And we want to go Leviticus uh, 16, 29 through 34. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls, and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priest, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year, as he did, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So we're showing here at the end of the chapter that what's preceding about the goats and the other offerings and the work of the priest is and has to do with the day of atonement, day of atonement which we are assembled here on. Now let's go to uh, back up to verse five. <clears throat> And he shall take, that's the priest, he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now notice, two kids for a single offering. We've got to remember that. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement. This is in addition to those two kids for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord of the door of the congregation. Uh, and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and there the lot for the scapegoat. Now, I'm just going to cut this a little bit short here because there gets to be a lot of conversation about this scapegoat. The scapegoat really means, from the Hebrew Isaiah, means an innocent person or a thing that is taking the blame for another. And so you've got the one goat that's killed and one goat that's alive. Now notice here, he shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat 
into the wilderness. So there's a lot more in these uh, verses here. So let me cut this short. I know that some say that this Azazel, the scapegoat, is the devil. But let's understand something very clearly here. The devil does not pay for my sins. He causes sins, right? And the innocent person that we put the blame on, a scapegoat, we know what a scapegoat is. A scapegoat is somebody that's innocent that takes the blame for somebody else. So if you're a scapegoat and you take my sins upon you, uh, I'm talking to you, Ken, and uh, then uh, you aren't the devil. You're not responsible, but you're innocent of my sins, just as Christ was innocent, but he took the blame for me. He took all my sins on himself. He took our sins upon him. So uh, you can read that in verse uh, more about the, the uh, Zazel in uh, 15 through 22 verses. Uh, let's go to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Isaiah 53. And uh, 4 through 6. Surely he, not the devil, this man of sorrows, Christ, Jesus, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And there's more about uh, Jesus. Let me uh, see. I have a few more references here. Uh, uh, let's see. In Hebrews, we want to go to the New Testament. Hebrews, the uh, ninth chapter. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place, every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And then we have some more reading here in Hebrews. But uh, going back, when you study the uh, two goats, the Azazel goat, and you see that the, those two are for one 
sin offering. One is for the death of Christ, and one is our sins, the carrying away. And that word azazel uh, means a scapegoat, and the Hebrew means uh, uh, go to departure. So it's, it's gone away and sent out uh, in the wilderness and turned loose. And they keep looking for it to come back, but it never comes back because all of our sins have been carried away by Jesus. But Jesus Christ is coming back, right? He's coming back. So he had to carry our sins away. And so presently as we live, we have sin. He carries those away from us and uh, in repentance. And so they will never have to face them again. Now let's go to uh, Hebrews while we're here. Uh, Hebrews 10th chapter, uh, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering, past, present, and future, for all mankind, one time, one sin offering, but then his death but then he was resurrected. And then he, in life, later ascended to, to heaven to sit on the throne, on the mercy seat, on the covering, on the kaporeth. He sits on that mercy seat between those angels. Now, the priest before, and the scriptures tell us very clearly, the priest, when they minister, would stand and minister. None of them ever sat down. They were always standing as they would go about their job of ministering. But Christ, after he completed his part of salvation sat down on the mercy seat. Now he can hear us and he can intercede as a true priest, as a living sacrifice, as, a, as our Savior between the Father. He, he has access and so as we approach God, as we approach our Father through him, we use his name, he intercedes for us and can um, help us in our uh, pleas to our Heavenly Father. So uh, Hebrews 12, chapter verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down now at the right hand of the throne of God. And then there's more about considering him. So uh, we consider uh, Jesus who was sacrificed for us and carried, bore our sins. The devil doesn't bear my sins. He doesn't care my sins. He's happy that I sin, but God bears and carries those. So now I know there are uh, several other interpretations and some uh, uh, take up with the Jewish tradition that uh, Azazel was the devil or a demon or whatever and that he uh, was the one that bore the sins. He was the live goat. But remember the two goats exactly alike. One, the, the priest couldn't determine. He had to cast a lot. One was going to die and one was going to be left alive. Which one would it be? Which? He couldn't make that decision. God made it. Which died and which lived? Because the two have a completion of thoughts. One is a payment for sins. The other is carrying away and doing something with them and getting rid of them out in the wilderness. Now, Another point is uh, the work of the high priest and his attire. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I do have a few verses. And we want to go, in the, while we're here in the New Testament, uh, back up to uh, 1 Peter 2.21. I guess we need to go forward. 1 Peter 
2, 21 and uh, 22. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So he left us an example. We know that. Now, back in Malachi, in the Old Testament, Malachi 2.7. That's the uh, last book of the Bible there, Malachi 2.7. says, for the, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So the priests were to teach the law of God. They were to explain it. Now, we'll see, and we won't even go there today, but if you'll study Ezekiel 40 through 48, you'll see that in the future, the temple, when Christ is here and the priests are reestablished, and they teach the law of God and they explain, and so they come and can see how that is to be applied. And so the priest in the Old Testament times would explain, this is the law, this is uh, for you to keep, you have to do that, this is why you do this. Now, how much they fully understood, it's kind of a puzzle because they didn't fully understand all of the significance. As we can look back now with Christ and what he lived and what he taught in the New Testament, we can understand a lot of the Old Testament by an application of the New Testament, but they didn't have that advantage. So the priest had to explain where he could what that meant to the people. And so uh, let's go back now to the New Testament in John, the 12th chapter. Uh, John 12, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So here's a Direct statement from Jesus Christ that we're to follow him. Now Paul later tells us, follow me as I follow Christ. And so our primary example is Jesus Christ. Then there are secondary examples of those who have uh, wisdom and who have knowledge and who are righteous and who have character and who speak God's words faithfully and diligently. And you have to be careful. You have to judge righteous judgment. You have to listen carefully. You don't be following false uh, brethren or false teachers or false men or false uh, proclaimers of the gospel. But we have to make right judgment. Those that follow Christ that are exactly like him and his example, then we can use their example to help us in our life. And so uh, there's a balance there and we have to be very careful that we uh, uh, follow that. Now let's go back to Hebrews because we were there earlier, but uh, Hebrews, the, um, oh, let's see, the ninth chapter, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, and 24, Hebrews 9, but Christ, verse 11, being come an high priest, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, 
neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the souls, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator. Now I'm reading some interim verses here uh, I didn't give to uh, Brian. Mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. We know that a will or a testament. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon... Neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the peoples according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the Ministry And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's very important. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, what he's telling us is, we need a better sacrifice, we as human beings, we need a better sacrifice than just an animal, just a goat or, a, or whatever. We need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who made one sacrifice forever, shed his blood for us, that we can have eternal redemption. And so, uh, we don't want to treat that lightly, we want to take it uh, very important. And... Uh, uh, there's more here about uh, the work of the high priest and uh, uh, his selection, his qualifications, his duties, his attire, the physical type of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but uh, my last two points here, uh, I've got, uh, this one is uh, the ninth point, and that's, go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. Back to where we were. Now, the Day of Atonement is the fifth holy day. You've got Passover uh, is not a holy day, but you've got the first day and the last day of unleavened bread. You've got two of unleavened bread. And then you've got uh, the third one, which is Pentecost. Then you've got the fourth one, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And the fifth one, which is the Day of Atonement. And then you have the sixth one, is uh, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the seventh one is the last great day, 
eighth days, not the seventh day of tabernacles. That's confusing to a lot of people, I know, but uh, the eighth day is a holy day. So you have seven holy days. The Day of Atonement is the fifth holy day. Now, I didn't, I didn't bring this. I, I left it at home, but uh, you've got uh, Bullinger's numbers in the scripture. And some of you know that, and you studied it. And you know that number five, or five, is the number for grace. G-R-A-C-E. It's interesting, it has five letters. And over several days, I was writing down from the Bible words that had five letters in them. And uh, I just added three more today during one of the songs, a couple of the song services here. And uh, I stopped because there's so many of uh, positive words of grace of good connected with the Day of Atonement. Okay, just listen to this. Some of the things I've written down. They have five letters. Jesus. Atone. Grace. Truth. Mercy. Faith. Trust. Saved. Saves. Abide. Great. Gifts. Given. Power. Water, blood, earth, above, think, peace, Mount Sinai. Each of those has five letters. Angel, bread, alive, lives, lived, stake, cross. And some just today in the song service I added loved, glory. Thine, words. Okay, you'll probably be thinking about words that have five letters and looking in your Bible and concordance. And there are a lot of them that have to do with grace and peace and positive words that have to do with what Christ did for us and what he expects us to do for others and to do for ourselves and do to God. And uh, then there are the negative side. There's just a few of those. Okay, uh, here... Just a few. Death. That's a negative. Devil. Satan. Demon. Works. Flesh. I couldn't think of any more. Uh, I didn't want to. But boy, there are a lot of good, positive words of grace that have to do with five letters, right? And the Day of Atonement is the fifth holy day. And it has to do with us having forgiveness, having to do with us being reconciled. And that's another uh, Greek word uh, that uh, and some few in Hebrew that we see a lot of. And the mercy and the mercy seat and all of those different uh, things that we've been uh, discussing here today. Now, um, I'm going to uh, close with those uh, points that we have here, there's more we could read in the book of Hebrews and we could read more uh, uh, in the uh, Leviticus uh, 16th chapter and the Leviticus the 25th chapter about the, uh, uh, let's see, did I, did I skip Leviticus 25 or did I cover that about uh, the uh, significance of the uh, Jubilee, yeah, I, I covered that. Uh, okay, uh, if you can remember this, Leviticus 25 is half of 50. 50 is, right, the year of Jubilee. So 
the year of Jubilee is heard and explained in Leviticus 25. So I covered that one. Now, in closing, uh, I wrote down a, a couple of different things here. So let me just uh, read what I've uh, written down here in um, closing comments. There are other points connected to the Day of Atonement. One of them is the New Testament references for all of the holy days, explaining why we as Israel are to keep these forever and how now the church has taken the place of Israel and we are expected to keep these. And I didn't bring another book that shows also that uh, if you want to read uh, Jay and Andrew's book, The History of the Sabbath, it's pretty thick writing, but he has a lot of references in there about the early church for centuries kept the feast days, kept the holy days of God until this Roman Catholic uh, pagan religion uh, grew and grew and grew in influence and power and uh, overtook and changed all of the uh, significance of obedience to God in some of those holy days and, and did away with the Sabbath and did away with the holy days and set up their own feast days and their own days. And uh, I didn't cover this, but I, I'm just going to mention it because uh, it's important uh, that we know this as you study. Uh, the priest's attire, he was beautifully ordained. Uh, uh, no. Not, that's not the correct word. Adorned. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Beautifully adorned. But when he ministered on the Day of Atonement, he took all those beautiful clothes off and he put on white, all white linen clothes as he ministered in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement. And approaching on the uh, tabernacle, you had the uh, altar of burnt offerings where you did sacrifices and offerings. Then you had the laver where they washed. And then in the holy place, in that first uh, 10 by 20 cubicle in the tent, you had two sections, one divided by a curtain. 10 by 10 was the most holy, and then 10 by 20 cubits. Uh, and outside there, you had the uh, seven lamped uh, golden candlesticks of seven golden candlesticks, the lamp, and you had the altar for the bread for fellowship, and you had the uh, altar of incense for prayer. That was just in front of the curtain where the tabernacle, the Ark of the Testimony, was by itself in the dark. And only once when the priest opened those curtains, then he could see and he could go in and minister to the uh, Holy of Holies, and that was all that Christ's sacrifice, remember? That tabernacle was rent, the top, that was a four, four inch, they replaced it every year, and it was about four inches thick. And it was a heavy woven curtain, and it was torn from the top down, all the way, showing that we have access now to the Ark of the Covenant, to our Heavenly Father, and to Jesus Christ. We don't need a high priest, we don't need a man to come between us to show us. Men sometimes can lead and guide and direct us. Now, what I was talking about, uh, the attire, uh, that has been perverted down through the ages by men who proclaim themselves to be God, where they wear a fish hat on their head, which is a fish, or they have the uh, cardinal. That wasn't the mitre of the high priest. It was like a turban. It was like a cap woven around. It was beautifully ordained. And so it wasn't a little... Uh, menorah, a little bitty skull cap that sat on his head. The high priest wore this turban 
And uh, not this looks like a fish's mouth. That's what it is. But you have now some who have corrupted the tabernacle dress of the high priest and pagan to Dagon the fish god and their attire and have kind of mixed it all up and it's all corrupt now and done away with God's way in his holy days. So you can study and go into that. Now, uh, I was coming to my close. I, I, I got interrupted because I wanted to, to take a little more time and cover a few more things here. Okay. Uh, the New Testament references to all of the seven holy days. I didn't cover that. I didn't spend a lot of time on the mercy seat, the covering, the kaporeth, and the angels over in that seat. And Jesus is now set down on that seat and ministers as mercy of grace. It's a, it's a mercy seat. M-E-R-C-Y, five letters of grace. It's interesting. Now, I know there are other, a lot of good words that have six letters, seven, eight, nine, ten. There are a lot of good words that have four, but... Uh, as I was just thinking, these words kept coming to me. And at night, I'd get up and I'd go in and I'd write, you know, write down, you know. And then while we were singing there, I wrote down three or four more. There's probably more in the songs that, uh, now you can start counting five for a while. And stay up late at night and get up early in the morning. And uh, the many individual references to the covering of our sins. I haven't spent a lot of time. The word atonement occurs many dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And you can take your Strong's Concordance or your interlinear Bible and you can search out those words that are singular, kaporeth or kapur, uh, or uh, different forms of those uh, different words and see what meaning or significance. But there's different, many different references. The Holy Days were given to Israel, I mentioned this, forever, throughout all the generations. Now, according to the New Testament, Israel, we're Israel. We're the Israel of God. The Galatians and the other scriptures tell us that we are the Israel of God, right? The church of God has taken that place. Now, God is still working with Israel, and he's working with the church. So, uh, we want to uh, think about that in reference to uh, some of the... Uh, other things that I've said today. Now, here's a, a closing thought for us to think about. We are reconciled to God by his way of atonement. Now, HWA, that is Herbert W. Armstrong. Oh, probably shouldn't say that word. Used to say, and you will read this in other references, atonement means at one meant. Think of it. Atonement. At one meant. We're agreed. We're at one with God. And so, in that, you know, he had a correct explanation of that word atonement. And um, as we have seen briefly, this is one of the most purpose filled holy days. And we can thank God for his atonement over us, making us possible to have fellowship, access, and approach to him. Now, on the altar of incense, I didn't spend a lot of time about that, on the altar of incense, where 
uh, Moses, I mean, where Aaron, the priest or the high priest, would take the incense added to the truth and the light and the fellowship. And as he approached to God, before he could approach to God, he had to be washed. He had to give a sacrifice. He had to go through that. He had to have fellowship. He had to uh, walk in the light. And then he would have prayer just before we have access to God. So here's the thing about, uh, that I want to say to us on this. And uh, I'm speaking to us, all of us. The Day of Atonement, maybe it's one thing that can tell us we need more prayer to have access to God. Morning and afternoon, twice. Now, when we're caught up in new conversions, we spend a lot of time in prayer, but as the years go by and times go by, we find maybe that is less and less as frequently or as prolonged or as long. If you are one of the few that can have long, diligent, daily prayers, that's good. Keep it up. If we've drifted away and if we have become slack in that, the Day of Atonement reminds us that before we can have immediate access to God right there, we need to approach him with beautiful prayers that are true and that are sincere and so we can take that and uh, add to that our uh, thoughts concerning the uh, altar of uh, incense. And there was a lot more about it, its size and its, its placement and its purpose. But uh, today's message, I've repeated a number of the things that we had in the first message, David Hope. Uh, but I did want us to learn from this, if we take this from us, that the Day of Atonement, is really, in the Hebrew, the Day of Atonements. It's plural. There are many lessons and reasons that we as Christians keep this day to day. Not just because it's to get away from work, or we don't have to eat on this day, or the women don't have to cook. That's their favorite day of the year. See, they don't have to cook or eat or, or whatever, but... oh. David, we're not supposed to talk about food and drink and water, and we're not supposed to show this um, empty water pitcher. Doyle is the one that did this, so we wouldn't do this. Okay, that's enough. Have fun the rest of the Sabbath. We're not having a meal, so we can fellowship. And uh, then after sundown, you can do what you want to do or go where you want to go. No, I better not say that. <laughs>